1: Doctors Unmasked
0: Podcast. Welcome to our podcast on Doctors Unmasked. My name is Dr. Masi Korir and today we are joined by Dr. Alfred Odiambo, who's a radiologist and, interestingly, a conservationist. We'll get to hear about his journey into medicine, into conservation, and some of the things that motivate him, what inspires him to continue doing what he does to give back to society, even as he treats patients. This podcast on Doctors and Mast seeks to tell you stories of doctors, not just the day-to-day things that they do about treating patients, but other things that they do outside medicine in order to make society a better place. So, Dr. welcome very much to our podcast on Doctors and Mast.
2: Thank
1: you very much, Dr. Masikori. My name is Dr. Alfred Odiambo Otieno.
0: Okay. Now, Dr. Rhee, what motivated you to become a doctor? Many people always have stories and I've had the privilege of talking to many doctors. Some was because of their experiences being treated when they are children. Some saw people in white coats and they were motivated to be doctors. What is your story?
1: I think it's also similar, uh, but it was the second calling. Initially, when I was possibly about eight or nine years old, I wanted to be a train driver. Uh, But that changed very dramatically once I got to the age of nine. From then on, I only wanted to be a doctor and nothing else. It didn't matter how long the journey was going to take. I made up my mind. And this is because I saw very good doctors taking care of me when I was very unwell. Sometimes I'll be carried to the hostel half dead. And these very gentle, these very pleasant people who take all the trouble all their time to ensure that within a matter of minutes and a few injections later, I'll be almost as good as new. Mm. So I really was very uh, impressed by these people, and I wanted to be like them.
0: Were well, you are a sickly child?
1: I was not a very healthy child. <laughs> <laughs> I struggled. Why is I that? I struggled, and I think... Um, I had really one major problem. It was largely malaria. Almost uh, the doctors would see me at the door and uh, decide I needed the injection for malaria. Possibly related. Now when I think about it uh, as mm-hmm. a doctor now, uh, my father was very health conscious. He was a civil servant for many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he followed the guidelines at the time, which was that you needed to give mal- uh, anti-malarial pro- prophylaxis. Uh, there are several of us in the house my younger brothers and sisters who are different from me, they would keep the medication, throw it under the bed. I took mine religiously. The problem is that over time, I didn't have any resistance at all. So I really can count the number of years to so not go for more than six months without malaria. Thankfully, I'm now better off. I can last a few more <laughs> years.
0: <laughs> so is it uh, malaria because of where you grew up or... Uh, w- was it, you know, that you were just prone to malaria?
1: Um, the years that I can remember, I'm very clear about uh, the times from 1969. And in 1969, we're in a place right in the forest, deep in the forest beyond Malindi is a place called Jilore. We spent from 1969 to 1978. Those are the years of, I'm very clear about. So we are shuffling between two places, Gilore Forest, where my father worked, and Malindi town, which was the nearest town where my mother was running a business. And these are very malaria mm-hmm. endemic areas. Mm-hmm. So I was susceptible mm-hmm. and uh, I was in the wrong place. <laughs> yes.
0: So you grew up in the coastal region. Is this because your father was a civil servant? Because, you know, civil servants tend to move from one place to the other. I mean, you would think because you are the Tieno, you would be somewhere on the other end (laughs) of Kenya. (laughs) Yes.
1: I spent very little time uh, in the western part of Kenya. I was born in Mombasa, Lady Grig Maternity at the Coast General Hospital. After that, of course, those early years are not very clear in my mind. But from about 19... 67. Uh, when my younger brother Marcel was born, then uh, the best memories I have was us as a family being thrown into one lorry after another, being transferred from Zaina, Karatina, Chehe. All those are towns uh, or areas in central Kenya. So we are being moved from one forest to another. Mm-hmm. We even went to Lamu. Uh, it wasn't a very pleasant boat ride, it had a, an unpleasant effect on our. Uh, my tummy, uh, but on return we were brought from Lamo in a big ship. It was actually a very different experience; quite comfortable. Uh, for some reason, um, from nineteen sixty nine, we stopped moving around, <laughs> or at least the transfers mm-hmm. reduced. So, uh, my best, uh, you know, my best recollections are of my life, almost actually, as a Giriama child. I was completely. Part of them. Um, I joined Class 1 in 1969. By 1970, I would speak Giriyama. I read Giriyama better than the Giriyama kids, at least at Jilore Primary School. Mm-hmm. I attended all their functions. I was part of them. And uh, I have very, very, very fond memories of my life in that community. Yes, everybody knows about the Miji Kenda. So there are nine communities. However, for me, I was deep inside one uniform community called Giriama. And up to 1971, I was the only child who was not Giriama. Things changed, of course, after that. Uh, From 71, 72 now, uh, when I'm in class four, uh, other communities started joining in. That's the time I saw another Luo child apart from me. But uh, earlier on, it was just Giriama, and I was one of them. And it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, We never really knew about tribal divisions. They never discriminated me. They completely integrated me. I'd go to the villages even at night. So um, I consider Giriama really my second home. Mm -hmm. I still speak very fluent Giriama. I speak better Giriama than Mm Lu today. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of love and respect for those people. For the
0: people. Okay. So after, so your school, did, you, did, was all your schooling in Giria huh? <laughs> So So after yeah. that, after primary school?
1: Yeah, so actually up to class six, I was at Jilore Primary School. I have no idea why my father decided to transfer me uh, to Malindi Primary School, Holy Ghost Mission. So uh, 1976, I did my uh, class seven at Holy Ghost Mission, scored very well and I had my first choice, which was going to be Kenyatta National yeah, High School, which is in uh, Muatate, Taita Taveta, and fortunately, I didn't get the school. I found mys- myself at some very peripheral school <laughs> <laughs> called St. George's, Mwabaya Nyundo, mm-hmm. in Kaluleni, and it was terrible. Um, because um, we didn't have teachers. We didn't have a math teacher the whole year. We didn't have a physics teacher. How come? Uh, Long story. Um, The school had a very good old reputation. used to do very well. But 1976, those teachers were not there. And we had to struggle on our own as students. I still remember my classmates. They were very pleasant, very motivated kids. Um, So we used to struggle on our own to try and fill in the gaps. But without a teacher for guidance, uh, I think the gaps were quite evident. And uh, it was going to continue like that if it was not for an accident, a very, very major accident I had in Form 2. Mm-hmm. I remember that time it was actually February of 1977. We were playing uh, basketball with our uh, <laughs> colleagues. Uh, we, didn't have <laughs> we didn't have many other activities. And we were playing on a beautiful pitch. nicely cemented uh, down the valley. We uh, <laughs> were playing bare, barefoot. And I remember uh, Albert Malwala was backpedaling. And I was trying to challenge him. Next thing, I had a big you know, very uh, big impact on my left foot. When I looked at it, my second toe was broken. In fact, what I recall was two little white bones projecting out of my foot. I was so shocked. I didn't uh, feel the pain. I didn't see any blood. Out of inspiration, which (laughs) I don't know where it came from, I just held the the foot very gently and put the bones back.
0: Really? That is exa- I'm even feeling pain at the description of the that sh- accident.
1: Yes, but it's very strange. I didn't feel any, any pain. It was just the shock of two of my bones out of my body. And I just pushed them back.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And of course, all the other players just stopped in total consternation. They could not believe what they had seen. Uh, What I can tell you, uh, it was not any out of bravery or any special knowledge. I had not been to medical school. I didn't know what what else uh, should have been done. Uh, But I paid the price because that night I felt the pain that even to this day I have never felt pain like that. The whole whole, uh, foot swelled up and it was pounding the whole night but we didn't have a medical place to go to. So we had to wait until the next day for the nurse to come and put in uh, some blue paint. Uh, I'm told it's called GV. GV, yes, I remember GV.
0: <laughs> that, is, that
1: is what was applied on the foot. But it never got better. By day four, this foot was now very swollen and it was smelly. Now, I asked for guidance and I was told that uh, maybe I try, look for help at the next bigger health institution, which is St. Luke's at um, Kaluleni. Now, St. Luke's was about five kilometers away. So I needed to come out of our school, climb the hill through Kizurini, which is where the police station is, then descend and climb another hill into Kaluleni. There are no <laughs> matatus at the time.
0: And your foot was still Foot is swollen. swollen.
1: No bandage, nothing. But it has some paint on it, GV. So I struggled uh, all the way to St. Luke's uh, hospital Akaloleni, only to be told that uh, sorry, we young man, we can't treat you. Your school never pays bills here. So I had to again start <laughs> start my journey back to the school, got back to this uh, to uh, St. George's. My colleagues were now very concerned, and the food was just getting worse. Mm-hmm. The next day, I said, this is enough. I need to uh, get my parents involved. (coughs) No phones, nothing. Mm -hmm. So the only way out, unfortunately for me, I had a bit of pocket money remaining. We had not really stayed much in the school. So I had to start the journey from Kaloleni through Kilifi to Malindi. And my mother was running a shop um, in, you know, uh, around the roundabout as you approach Malindi. Mm -hmm. She saw me from a distance. She quickly recognized me only that I looked different and I was uh, limping. So she quickly came out, uh, picked me up, and uh, uh, was very dismayed by what she saw. Swollen, smelly, uh, painful uh, left, left foot. Uh, she quickly informed my father, who then organized. He was, a, uh, by this time, a senior civil servant. So he was able to get in touch with a doctor at Malindi General Hospital where i was quickly rushed admitted and the, qu- the major decisions were two do you amputate or do you treat mm-hmm. uh, the doctor gave me the chance and he decided that no amputation for now
0: um, That's salvage.
1: yes so they put me on a broad course of uh, medications i can only guess now maybe the antibiotics i didn't have the details i also saw that instead of uh, GV, they put something yellow, <laughs> orange yellow. So that's probably
2: better. Than <laughs> 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 yeah, but somehow
1: the foot actually healed. It took a bit of time. There still a, had a bit of uh, limb asymmetry. Uh, all those mus- muscles were not used. So it took several years before my limbs were back. To this day, I've never been brave enough to take an x ray because <laughs> I'm wondering.
0: What will you find? What What will 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 you see? (laughs)
1: Yes, absolutely. So I'm very happy with my current ignorance about that foot Mm -hmm. on the left. So
0: how did this change your schooling then in St. George's?
1: My father quickly decided that was the wrong school for me. So he took me over and uh, said that we'll have to find a school. Fortunately, he was already in touch with the headmaster at my school of first choice. Kenyatta. That is Kenyatta High School, Muatate. And when Mr. Maneno, Samuel Maneno, somebody I hold in very deep respect, heard the story. He said, I'll take your son. My father then drove me to uh, Kenyatta High School. I was admitted there. And I'll tell you, it was a totally different experience. Mm -hmm. I was admitted as a form two student. And now we had three streams, 120 students. And I made that headmaster proud because end of that term, (laughs) I was position six. Wow. Out of one hundred and twenty, wow! And that was your first time in this. <laughs> that school. is the first time. Wow! First time he actually called me to the office and said, "Alfred, this is a good job." <laughs> <laughs> that is how he spoke. Total no nonsense. Mm. All rounded mm-hmm. teacher who had such a big impact on on me as a person. Mm-hmm. He was a headmaster. He taught us geography. He played basketball. He played volleyball. He converted our school from a desert into a forest. Mm-hmm. We made our own football pitch. <laughs> from thorny acacia, we planted our own grass. We grew our own vegetables. We kept our own cattle. We got milk from our school. Uh, this, this man had a major influence on me. There are so many of the teachers at, uh, you know at Kenyatta High School who had a major impact on me. Mr. John Law, the British physics teacher, He completely molded my mind, his rational thinking. He couldn't run himself. (laughs) (laughs) He was a chain smoker. But he's in charge of the (laughs) athletics team. And John Law was physics day and night. Even the way we were training, uh, he would always break that in terms of physics principles. He's a man who made me love physics so passionately, Mm -hmm. and made me understand that physics really is the queen of all these sciences. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes. Interesting. But then you ended up being a doctor. Nothing to do with... Okay, maybe (laughs) something to do with physics, if we look at where you specialized, but I would say nothing completely to do with medicine.
1: Yes, but uh, I knew all along that as much as I love physics, I was going to be a doctor. And that has an impact on uh, my choice of subjects. I could have done maths, physics, chemistry. I decided to do what I really liked, which was physics, chemistry, biology. and got principal scores on all of them, winning my position at the university uh, medical school. Um, Fortunately, I was the only one from my school that particular year. Um, So it was a bit lonely. I remember reporting to um, the medical school on the 3rd of uh, October. 1983 and I'll tell you that is another major milestone because from then on I found myself being treated very differently starting from the registration
0: and this was at the um, main campus University of Nairobi main
1: campus yes okay yes and I could see how our own faculty came over to receive us with open arms with a lot of dignity organization order uh, as opposed to other fields which are not name, but they are different And from that day forwards, I was always treated with respect only because I was training to be a doctor. Any place I went and mentioned that I'm uh, Alfredo Diambol training to be a doctor, whether it was in a medical clinic when I'm seeking attention, or caught up in any situation, I was treated with much respect. And for this reason, I gave myself the promise that I was going to really uphold the dignity of this great profession. And mm. I've never been disappointed.
0: Mm. Back back then, as opposed to mm. when we were joining medical school, mm. I think when we were joining, um, I joined in 2006 or October. Yes. We were hundreds of students. Yes. I think our class probably had about 400, almost 500.
1: That is massive. That's Ye- a giant class. Yes. So <laughs> Ours was not giant. <laughs> we only 100.
0: Okay, so you basically knew each other. We did
1: every. I know each of my classmates. Even today, I was chatting with my classmates. Um, my classmates also involved in other areas. Is actually Professor Grace Irimo, mm-hmm. who was my discussion mate throughout most of medical school. She's now professor of pediatrics, yeah. and she has won huge awards for her contribution to the welfare of children, saving thousands of children's lives. As if that's not enough, she's now running a major webinar to um, completely be able to break down the principles of diagnosis and management of COVID. I am one of the beneficiaries because uh, my members of staff have fallen victim. My younger brother was very, very sick. He had very high-grade COVID. Uh, knocked off close to 92% of his lung. It is by God's grace that he survived. But uh, we extracted a lot of the information. However, I am a medical doctor, and uh, surrounded by experts all over, very willing to help me go through some of the most difficult issues. But um, um, the information that uh, Dr. Grace Remo is putting together with colleagues also, who are still, a number of them are my classmates, but also with their teams, Because as a lecturer at the University of Nairobi, Dr. Irimu has, uh, you know, residents, Mm -hmm. dynamic, very, very um, motivated, and who are, you know, very well read. So they've been able to put up several webinars, and Mm -hmm. others are still forthcoming. So that it gives us a fighting chance, and this is information that is is nicely digested. So the target is actually the general. population of Kenya. Mm -hmm. I could never be more proud of these individuals. That's, you know, old school medical people who always believe that at the end of the day you have a responsibility to this country, which um, did everything for you, but particularly took you to school. And you can be paid for all the work that you do. We have a a social, uh, we have a responsibility to this
0: society. Um, is is the training um, currently, the current crop of doctors that we are training and the training itself, is it any different from your time? Because you say it's old school medicine. Has it changed in any way?
1: Um, change is ine- inevitable. It's not just uh, that the diseases have changed, but I see major deficiencies today. Uh, some of these have been pointed out by uh, you know queue uh, but what is obvious today is that uh, a num- uh, you know a number of our facilities were meant to handle a certain population of students we're looking at about 100 we were able to um get very uh, very good uh, you know staff student ratios uh we felt really well covered whether it was in uh, the laboratory whether it was in the uh, you know, community work, uh whether it was in practical you know, investigations, the numbers were always very, very manageable. To today, when you consider four hundred students going to the wards,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: those numbers and num- that's just
0: one class. That is one class.
1: Now, even if you try to split them, the wards are not that many. One referral hostel is not enough. And the tragedy, uh, or I don't know whether this is a tragedy or let's call it the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is that today there are other players, (laughs) it's not just University of Nairobi. Mm -hmm. So you can't uh, just carry your weight around throughout the other hospitals. So what it means is that today we are forced to give out less than ideal education to the students. And we end up with a situation now we have, uh, you know, a dichotomy, a diversity, a non-standardized kind of uh, output because some of the students are brilliant mm-hmm. the brilliant ones are real brilliant enjoyable to teach uh, but then when you have a very large number it is very difficult for me to impact on all of them when i'm giving a lecture um, in lecture theater 3 and i've 300 students in front of me uh, one could be fast asleep and snoring and I'll not be able to catch them uh, today we've got uh, you know online lectures i've just come out of two of them today And I will tell you, it is no longer possible for me to guarantee that I can adequately empower, adequately transfer knowledge to each student, which is a major tragedy. I feel um, I have failed in that regard, and I wish something could be done. To manage these proportions, and maybe it's a little beyond me, but I feel the, uh, the, you know, that that burden of not achieving what I would like to do.
0: That's, that's quite unfortunate, then, because um, doctors, once you're trained, you come out here. It's about mm-hmm. life and death.
1: This is a whole issue. That's the, uh, you know, that is really the what burdens my heart today. That um, what happens when the person who is there. Examining a patient is not adequately equipped is that uh, we, we will not be very happy with the results. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always want to say that uh, if this person is treating me, then I'm in, in a very bad situation. But this life is not about me. <laughs> this life is about the population of Kenya yeah. and. Uh, uh, the reason why we were taken to school is so that we could come and take care of this population. If now the crop of doctors are not able, you cannot guarantee that each doctor really measures up to a certain standard. It's a great tragedy that, acquires, that requires urgent Attention.
0: Okay, So, Dr. where did you um, do radiology? You could have done anything in medicine. <laughs> Why radiology? I remember you, you taught me through neuroradiology and you actually made it quite interesting. And I think, because I'd always been interested in new, neuro... Neurology. 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 Yes, then now, yeah. and that was about the time when now MRI was still new. It was very fascinating to see those images. Images, eh? Yes, I remember well, MRA, that class. MRI
1: is another world today, but uh, let's address what you raise.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why radiology? When I was a third year... Uh, yes, going into fourth year, I had a little experience with obstetrics and gynecology. In fact, in fourth year, we went through a whole rotation. I'll tell you, those, that team is very, very organized. Eh? The whole of that fourth year rotation is very unique. Mm-hmm. You go into pediatrics, you know nothing at the beginning. Yep. Eight weeks later, you're the one teaching the nurses. This tells you the kind of uh, you know, mental uh, capacity of the medical student. You then get into obstetrics. Those lectures were crammed right at the beginning, but they were so well coordinated. I developed this deep interest in uh, obstetrics and actually got the COGS Award. I got the top score in uh, obstetrics. Congratulations! Thank you, thank you. Yes, so um, you know, a number of people thought I was going to go in into obstetrics. Um, Fast forward to um, internship. I did my internship at Kenyatta National Hospital. And uh, in the pediatric ward, it used to be called PEW, Pediatric Emergency Ward. Again, uh, Professor Nduati will recall this, that they actually gave me a Nelson textbook. Why? Because they believe that during my stay, I reduced the infant mortality. The kids, especially those, the children, the infants with. The young children with marasmus, kwashako, used to um, pass on early in the morning. So I decided to just give it a little more attention. I remember
0: that, by the way. About 3 (laughs) a.m., even when I was doing my internship, your your children in the ward with malnutrition, at 3 a.m., if you're called at 3 a.m., you just know things are really bad.
1: Yes, and that year as well, 1988, we had um, meningitis uh, outbreak. I remember giving IV drugs sometimes to as many as 50 children, and I thought I was just doing my work, but uh, it didn't really escape the attention of the senior consultants, and that again gives you the difference of our days and later on. Maybe today there are people working harder than I, do, I, I did, but we don't no longer have the system to be able to recognize them, so they recognize that. And being given the textbook, uh, they knew that I was going to join pediatrics. Had senior colleagues who also were trying to pull me into medicine, but my love for physics uh, told me that you could Mm -hmm. do something different. So I veered off into radiology, and I'll tell you, I've never felt more comfortable. Never regretted. I'll tell you that today, that interest, understanding of physics, uh, really um, has impacted massively in my. you know, continued, uh, you know, journey in radiology. I learn every day. There's not a single day that passes without me learning something new. Uh, It could be radiology, it could be other things. The other areas that I'm starting to learn now is about uh, plant science, plant physiology, Mm -hmm. soil science. I to that Mm -hmm. one about
0: (laughs) your work with plants. (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
1: (laughs) so um, it was the right choice. And if you enjoyed my neuroradiology, that's my pet subject, that's the fellowship that I went to do in St. Louis, Missouri, possibly the first fellowship in the region. And because of that, I made a promise to myself that on coming back from that very privileged opportunity, I would do everything humanely possible to disseminate this knowledge throughout East and Central Africa. I've trained possibly 70 to 80% of the radiologists who practice MRI today. And there are many advances coming up every day. We are right now in the middle of discussions where we could soon uh, have uh, very high-end MR images or MRI scanners which go beyond the standard. You know, this anatomic imaging Mm -hmm. is good. Mm -hmm. But you then have advanced imaging which gives a lot of information, uh, provides guidance particularly to the neurosurgeon, uh, sometimes also helps the uh, non-surgical colleagues, the neurologists, to be able to make a very firm con, you know, firm diagnosis about a patient's neurology. Mm-hmm. But the applications go beyond uh, neuroradiology. Mm-hmm. So today, uh, what we realize is that, yes, my initial training was in neuroradiology, mm-hmm. uh, but I may be seeing more tumors in other places. Eh? Cool. There are times <laughs> I see like five, six prostate uh, cancers, so of course, I've really cultivated another interest. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> end of the day, Doctor Khalid, what you what will surprise you is you, I seem to have an interest in everything, which is really a summary of me as a person.
0: Mm. Okay, um, why uh, at the time when you started practice? I mean, people come back and they get pegged into a hospital, yes. uh, the major especially the big boys, let me call them big boys, the yes. big players yes. in um, in the country, Nairobi people yes. get now plugged in and you know you continue the practice. Yes. Why did you opt to do your own practice?
1: Um, very um, again, several accidents uh, so here your you are Your life
0: is punctuated <laughs> by
1: accidents <laughs> yes, Some of them are <laughs> academic accidents because uh, you come back You've been to one of the top centers. I was training at Barnes Jewish Hostel, St. Louis, Missouri. Mm -hmm. That hospital is huge. The pediatric unit alone is maybe double the size of Kenyatta National Hospital. As of 2005, the year I was there, we had seven MRI scanners in one hospital. Uh, the center where I was attached to do neuroradiology, is a center of advanced imaging, respected all over the world. And in fact, a number of our faculty used to win the top awards in the USA. So you can imagine I'm here aligned and they treated me exceedingly well. I'll always thank Professor Young for giving me that opportunity. So then you have this situation where you've seen the very best in the world. Then you come back here and I'm teaching at the University of Nairobi, but I don't even have an X-ray machine. I don't have an ultrasound machine. Mm -hmm. So then I had to make the decision, and the decision was open a small facility on the side. I use this facility to acquire the best tools. Once you've acquired the best tools, ensure that you return the favor to the university that sponsored you to start with, because uh, University of Nairobi could have blocked the fellowship. They didn't. Mm -hmm. They gave all the support they gave me even study leave and was able to complete my fellowship come back so i'll tell you that today at plaza mri which is a center that i run on the side we've been pioneers at everything we set up the first uh, in uh, digital x-ray 2006 it looked like a mm-hmm. huge investment uh, but it took again a situation where a patient came from our uh, our center with an x ray of, uh, of the foot and bumped, uh, you know, returned it to a consultant who was at the Aga Khan. He gave it one look and rushed to the administration block and said, I want this. <laughs> so the next day, there's a whole delegation from Aga Khan Hospital. They came mm-hmm. to our center, filled up every space which was available, <laughs> and they said, We want to see uh, this x ray. They didn't even want to see me, mm-hmm. uh, so we obliged. They saw the X-ray machine, a Shimazu X-ray, ordered it immediately. Mm-hmm. We then um, set up also cutting-edge ultrasound, um, you know, Toshiba ultrasound. This is two thousand and six, and those images are absolutely phenomenal. I would say that um, you know, at least in the quest for excellence in ultrasound, we were not the first. Dr. John Ondeko led the way, mm-hmm. uh, but we returned, you know, with the top end. Uh, 640 slice CT, the first in sub-Saharan Africa. There was one in Cairo, the two in South Africa. I'm told even today there's only one in India. So we wanted to maintain the tempo that I saw in Saint Louis, Missouri. We also the first center to set up a superconducting MRI uh, standalone. Nobody else had done it in Eastern Central Africa. So 2007, 14th of uh, November. I set up that center. And everybody told me that uh, this, you know, this was really an overkill. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't really an overkill. The only problem is that we set up very high standards, only that we didn't have the technical backup. And this has been a bit of a challenge for me up to very recently. We're now reaching a phase where uh, I'm seeing a lot of light. I'm seeing a lot of hope. I have seen a openings, opportunities that never existed before. Mm -hmm. I wanted always to be able to benchmark with the very best in the world. But you can't benchmark with the very best when they bring horses and you bring your donkey. Today those horses are available. Here, right here. I've just looked at a proposal sent to me by General Electric Kenya for an MR with all applications including Imaging the Mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought that was a dream. I looked at the pricing. I could not believe it. So I'm trying to push uh, to Mm -hmm. see how we can acquire that equipment rapidly.
0: Would would you say you were way ahead of your time back in early 2000s and you're setting all this up when the infrastructure was not really there uh, compared even the political will in the country was not really there to support the health sector. But now what we're seeing is like almost everyone now wants to do a CT scan, an MRI, you know, uh, would you say you are way ahead of your time at the time? Mm.
1: So you put it very philosophically. And uh, unfortunately for me, it was a big disaster, big tragedy. Because uh, we set up the 640 Slice City and we couldn't get the technical support. So you can imagine buying a CT scan machine for 200 million Kenya shillings. Uh, of course, it's not money in the my back pocket. Mm-hmm. It's money that is borrowed from the bank. Now the bank doesn't see it from your perspective or mine. The mm-hmm. bank just looks at the bottom line, and that discordance cost us very, very dearly because we found ourselves in a very uncomfortable situation. And for the maybe the last three or four years, those were very difficult for us technically, because you want to move onto um, cutting edge MR. The knowledge is there. I acquired it a long time ago um, in a very special fellowship amongst some of the world's giants Mm -hmm. Uh, but being at the university is a very big uh, privilege and opportunity because what it means is that you're always constantly acquiring disseminating knowledge Mm -hmm. so i have no challenges at all uh, in terms of technical abilities but i don't have the tools and the tools cannot be maintained because uh, every time the machine breaks down the engineer must be flown in
0: Mm -hmm. Which is costly.
1: Very costly, but uh, it places a very big burden. And then some of these uh, financial challenges, um, I did not find a lot of uh, political obstacles at all. Mm -hmm. I hear about all these changes in uh, political situations. They did not affect me, not once. But there are financial challenges. Because uh, by the time we had put in all the equipment at at my office, tiny little office, Mm We had borrowed 600 million Kenya shillings, adding the interest is a billion shillings. Mm-hmm. And our business model, at least the one which I shared, is very crude and simple, which is offer the very best possible, but charge the lowest. So we are here with a 640 slice ET, but charging lower than government hostel. And therefore, the only way to bridge the gap is through numbers. Uh, the bank has got uh, different issues. So this is a major challenge. I'm reaching a level where now uh, I feel more comfortable. We've been around for a little while. The name is recognized. The brand is recognized and respected. We have colleagues now ready to listen. And maybe we're starting to find our way in which we may not have to sit down at the banker Because you you sit down at the bank and you're talking about how you need to look at a brain lesion and guide the neurosurgeon. They will not understand no, it, it does not make sense, no, it does make, make sense. It doesn't make financial sense. Mm. But for me, it's absolutely important because there's a difference between removing the patient's tumor and not interfering what we call the eloquent areas of the brain. What's the point of taking out my tumor and then you take out my speech center, mm-hmm. t- take out my motor strip, because then you convert me into you, you a You make vegetable. the
0: person even worse than they, they came to you before. It's a vegetable. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. But okay. um, mm. uh, right now, I feel everything is falling into place. Mm-hmm. I have a very, very radiant, glorious picture of where we're headed as Kenya. Uh, we may not appreciate this, eh? mm-hmm. but uh, you just need to travel through East Africa. Um, as of uh, 2015, uh, I was approached by a team from Uganda that was really struggling to set up and run an MR. Uh, how many MR scanners were in available in Uganda at the time? Two. Two. Uh, In Nairobi, around me alone, there were 10 MRI scanners. Mm -hmm. In Uganda, they were struggling to do six patients a day. In my center, we were already doing 20, Mm -hmm. 25, 30 patients. And I was not the only one. Mm -hmm. So in terms of knowledge, we are heads and shoulders above the teams around us mm. uh,
0: and t- taking you to actually <coughs> how we have many mris in the country my own thinking is um people can better network around one center yes. instead of having so many like you said mm. uh, around where you are almost every <laughs> facility <laughs> every and everyone building. Every, every building has an mri yes. why not just uh, concentrate around one invest in one and then have a collaboration. I mean, um, nowadays you can read your images on screen as opposed to, you know, when you were back in school where you needed to get the physical, you know, image and plug it on a viewer. Why not do that so that um, we better use the resources that we have and then we invest in the quality that you're you're talking about?
1: We didn't get that right then. We have not yet got it right, and we will pay a price for it. Mm -hmm. No, sometimes you need an outsider to look at it because the way you put it is ideal. And this is how it is in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. There is no point having everybody having a PET scanner. You look at the population and for every 500,000 population to 1 million, you can put a PET scanner. Mm -hmm. But if you put all the PET scanners in one place, then you don't serve the population. Uh, So uh, sometimes our tunnel thinking, tunnel vision Mm -hmm. doesn't really help us. Because I'll tell you that um, when you look at the economics of an MR, um, I will not name any names, but I'll tell you that um, possibly 60% of the MRI scanners may not be very sustainable in the next five years. Mm-hmm. You, you look at the cost of an MR, um, today is possibly about 100 million shillings. Your rent is 500,000 shillings. Your power bill every month is 500,000 shillings your maintenance is almost a million shillings a month. So before you see your first patient, you already have a bill of two million shillings. Well, if you don't sell two million shillings, you're in a quandary. If you mm. sell two million shillings, you'll have to sell potatoes to pay the bank.
0: That is. And so will, so in my, in my thinking then, that will mean people will be imaging, people who may not even need that kind of imaging just to make the numbers. That's
1: criminal. It's unethical. But I suspect not only will it happen, it
0: but I happening. think it's already, <laughs> already happening. You
1: remember the fiascos of NHIF? Yes. Yes. So yes, that's just and, an example. And, and also, yes, that. that is just an example, and it is the most painful. I hope I never get caught up in such a situation, but uh, my prayer is bigger. My prayer is um, I really w- uh, pray and hope that uh, no doctor ever has to do that because there are enough indications for real man. Uh, But if you concentrate all of them into one street, uh, then such situations will be inevitable.
0: That would be tragic. Mm -hmm. So, Doctor, what do you do in your free time?
1: (laughs) I don't know whether I have free time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what else do you do? Because, you know, you mentioned uh, your high school teacher had an impact. Mr.
1: Samuel Maneno. Yes. And Mr. John Law. Mm -hmm. Those people really completely, they are still inside my heart this day.
0: And then you grew up in a forest. <laughs> I was born in the forest. <laughs> you body born in the forest. <laughs> I was born in the forest. So... Uh, <laughs> are these things that make you a conservationist? Uh, yes. Or do you even consider yourself a conservationist? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. I just, all
1: right. I just love trees. I started planting trees in 1969 at my primary school. Those trees are huge now.
0: I can imagine.
1: Uh, yes. But any place I went to, whenever I had a chance... um when I finished radiology, I went to work in Mombasa as a radiologist. I had some interest and property in a Tudor. Instead of planting flowers in uh, my compound, I planted the whole street. <laughs> yes, right now in Okambani, I'm trying to convert semi-arid area into a desert. Multi-diversity. This small little piece, which is maybe 40 acres, has over 100 tree species. The acacias the Gravelia or Boosters, the comes, everything. And what I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to replicate Nature, which is really my other teacher. Whenever I'm caught up in a situation, I always ask the lesson, uh, what is my knowledge based on? Maybe my 40, 50 years in school? Or is it from the books that I read? But collectively, this is maybe 100 years of knowledge. Well, what is Nature's, uh, you know, experience? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a few billions of years. And then you compare every time I look at the artificial human-made solution and you look at nature's solution. Nature's solution always knocks you down with simplicity and efficiency. And what I request is that if all of us are able to take this step back, uh, then you start to realize that a lot of the things that you do on the side um, when you're supposed to be free may be even more fascinating than the neuroradiology (laughs) because to see a place which was not just open. Uh, This place would have seasonal seasons when you don't see a single blade of grass. Mm -hmm. Today, there are trees bigger than me. Uh, And fascinating is you got the pollinators coming back, the birds sing, and it is just so heartwarming. I go to Kambani, I look all around, and uh, you don't see a lot of vegetation. You then get to this compound, and everything is there. I created rivers there. I created lakes there as well. I've not introduced fish well uh, the second time round. I tried it before, but that was not very. What smart. happened? was it
0: the the kind of fish or the kind of environment uh, uh, let's that just say
1: my knowledge was wanting. I just created eight fish ponds. I got some experts to come and do it. I put the fish there. I fed them over some seasons. Um, then of course, uh, it was me and. Uh, the reptiles and the birds, <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of the fish. I saw them uh, when they were young, but when they were big, they all went up either into the sky or into some reptilian uh, stomachs, which was very unfortunate. So I wanted it differently. This time around, I want to do it using nature's principles, which is follow the principle of succession. You cannot go to big trees and uh, you know, um, lakes with fish and uh, crocodiles. Before you've passed through the grasses, the little shrubs, the tall shrubs, and then eventually start to look at the tree species, then get your birds into, you know, get your rodents in. Mm -hmm. There'll be a few snakes here and there, and you've, of course, taken care of uh, consequences. We are on a 24-hour, you know, uh, snake poison, you know, emergency Mm -hmm. calls. Uh, But I am really happy with the transformation I'm seeing on the 40 acres. Mm -hmm. And I want to use this as a model to attack the rest of uh, eastern province because I think it is doable
0: mm-hmm. You remind me of um, the food web that we used to uh, do in <laughs> primary and high school
1: uh, The food web that we learnt in primary school and high school is completely upside down Oh really? Uh, listen to Elaine Ingram She spent 45 years in uh, studying soil She started looking at a microscope when she was 6 years old Her father was a you know, microbiologist and Elena's completely overhauled my head, completely brainwashed me with new thinking. And the new thinking is follow nature. When you see plants, respect them. Those plants are more intelligent than you give them credit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The plants do wonders. They are our lifeline. We know that. Yeah. Okay. But plants don't do the things we thought they used to do. The food webs are incomplete because they left out the biggest component, which is the social biome in the soil. The social biome, soil, social biome, which is really the community, the huge communities. So which the are two ins-
0: bugs and other things that are The in bugs are important.
1: The, soil. the worms are important.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But those are the later, those are the top of the food chain. The bacteria. Mm. The other nematodes, they're important. But the superstar under the soil is actually the fungus. It's the fungus that makes the soil, uh, what you call internet. Uh, plants talk to each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Plants communicate. Plants warn each other when there's disease. Plants are able to fight disease. As mm-hmm. long as we don't tamper. We tamper by killing the soil with our chemicals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They our Chemicals are like antibiotics to the human being. So they just go and knock out the natural populations, tilt the soil out of balance, and then make it unpleasant and suitable for the plants. We then don't give the plants enough tools to be able to fight their diseases. Mm -hmm. And therefore, in the reclamation, as long as you follow those principles of succession, you then bring in the bacteria, you then bring in the fungi, then you get in your proportions, Once the proportions are right, you start to spread variety. Once the variety is is done, you then start to produce plants which don't require any intervention, particularly inorganic fertilizer, and do not require any pesticides. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I've tried these experiments, and they are now starting to work out, at least in Kibera.
0: Yes, I was going to ask if that is why you're planting in Kibera. (laughs)
1: Okay. In Kibira, maybe uh, again related to some event of 2018, it Mm -hmm. rained a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, The rains were very heavy and everybody was complaining about the inconvenience. But then I look at it and say, huh, that's water, that's life. Why don't I plant a few trees? So I did 10,000 trees in Ukambani and for a good measure, I did 100 in uh, Kibira.
0: Why Kibra? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I have a history there. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was a carpenter there Uh 1985. And I was a carpenter from um, mm-hmm. secondary school, oh. 1977 to 1992. I was a carpenter for 15 years. Mm-hmm. I even had a workshop with 11 workers at one time, yep. just outside um, Kenyatta National Store. That little shortcut there mm-hmm. through traffic police, yep. that was my workshop. Oh. And it was famous because... Uh, Kenyatta National Hostel Administration knew it. They came to me to give me an order when I was an intern. So 1988, they needed um, furniture. They needed a whole room furnished uh, for Operation Smile. And they had a deadline of 14 days. They needed furniture to be made to be ready in 14 days. They tried several carpenters. I'm the only one who managed managed to do it.
0: To I, the deadline.
1: I beat the deadline and I got 36,000 shillings in my pocket. Imagine how much that money was in 1988.
0: That's a, yeah. that's a lot of money. <laughs> yes,
1: but I started that when I was in Form 2, 1977. Mm-hmm. So I used to go to school with my own pocket money. Bought my, own, bought my own bicycle, bought my own motorcycle, bought my own car. Not parent, parents' money. <laughs> my parents would give me the support, but not give me money. Yeah, so give me the support and everything. So um, I chose Kibra because, as a carpenter, there for almost three, four years, um, I didn't find very rich people, but they're very pleasant. They're very warm. They're welcoming, and um, <clears throat> their criminal tendency is minimal. So I said, "Let me try a uh, hundred trees." And then it just kept raining, and those trees did so well. But what really um, took away my my heart was a uh, the fact that um, the youth were always so welcoming, and every time I went to inspect the trees, they are always there. So we bonded with uh, Wycliffe <laughs> mm-hmm. and Abdallah. Those boys have been with me to this day, and they coordinate a lot of my activities. So that they identify for me the groups, the people who are reliable, the people who have uh, some interest, the people who are re- who can be counted on, and through their networks, I now have thirty groups in Kibra. Mm -hmm. Um, Each group has at least 10 people. We have um, majority, of course, are youths and they are very pleasant. We have a Mungano Widows Group. We have a physically disabled of Kenya. Mm -hmm. The gentleman, their chairman is always on every photograph that I take. Um, We have a Society for the Deaf. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. You work Mm -hmm. a lot with... um, do, you call, do i call it underprivileged or um people who
1: are disadvantaged
0: are disadvantaged in society why is mm. that
1: they're available
0: <laughs> <laughs> easy to reach
1: and they, they respect you and they join you and they have no conditions and uh is it osmosis? <laughs> Almost mm-hmm. all the processes, all natural processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there needs to be a gradient. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've got the assistance. Uh, if I took that assistance to those who already have everything, I think it's more like a <laughs> uh, disturbance, mm-hmm. irritation.
0: Or was- wasting time.
1: Wasting their time. Okay. I'll always want to give the assistance to anybody, but these people are always available mm-hmm. and they're willing to listen. And because of that, they just keep motivating you. So mm-hmm. we even have a group in Kibra of 21 uh, garbage collectors at Makina.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I know where they stay, just next to the garbage mound.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so I challenged them one day. I said, can we, do, can we farm? And they laughed. <laughs> they told me, yes, we now have a vegetable farm.
0: Yeah, I've seen those pictures. They're oh, really the beautiful ah. vegetables, very lush and green.
1: Yes, and I'll welcome you. Come and see them live. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are people who really appreciate that uh, intervention to the extent they don't sell. Mm-hmm. They eat everything. And there's nothing as pleasant. There's nothing which makes you, you know, really elevates your spirits. Like taking a drive there, mm-hmm. uh, there are Kids taking photos in your plantation, your, <laughs> your little garden that you created, mm-hmm. to see these uh, garbage collectors collecting the vegetables from the farm you created for mm-hmm. them, and they're preparing for lunch. My only, uh, you know, sadness is uh, because I have not done more. I need to get them out of some of their habits. Mm-hmm. I need to clothe them, and uh, well, it doesn't have to be me. Uh, what I'm saying is that. Uh, we need to find a mechanism so that uh, other people can come in huh? mm-hmm. Yeah. So...
0: so do, do you... Th- okay. Um. The stories I've done in Kibra, uh, having worked in Kibra. Yes. And the story is of Kibra was a forest.
1: That is true. <laughs>
0: do you think Kibra can reclaim the glory of Kibra? Because if it was a forest, then it means there's a lot of rich underground.
1: Yes, the soil is phenomenal. Um. The success rate, uh, you know, at least for the trees that we planted, is well over ninety percent. You can't achieve that in my rural Ukambani. It's mm-hmm. not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the flowers, even where they are planted by the youths, again, they've, they've got this beautiful mix where you have flowers, you got your vegetables, you got trees, you got variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, my role is really just to encourage them, guide them. Mm-hmm. I do provide the Seedlings. I provide the fertilizer, um, and then of course follow up. Uh, occasionally, of course, you don't win. Uh, my whole idea has always been that we can do this uh, um, organic kind of farming, natural mm-hmm. farming, mm-hmm. the way God farms. Mm-hmm. When you go to God's forest, you don't see fertilizer there,
0: and everything grows very everything well. Everything grows very. But
1: mm. what's the secret? Secret is variety. When you do variety, uh, everybody plays his role. Uh, what do the plants do? They do what they do naturally, photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. That beautiful quantum process where sunlight is trapped and converted into sugars. Those sugars go into the body of the plant and make it you know, mm-hmm. nutritious. But it goes beyond. What we now know is that those sugars find their way to the roots of the plants. Then they are excreted into the soil. And in that area is where the microbes are. The microbes take up the sugars and in return release, um, you know, the minerals in a plant absorbable form. That's magic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not only that, these plants don't feed one population. So you've got bacteria, you've got the fungi, and then the fungi are a whole clan. Mm-hmm. Each yes. fungus has got a specific role mm-hmm. and each fungus has got a specific contribution. The networking to tell to warn the plants about the presence of a disease. And what remedy is to be taken? Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, why am I interested in this and yet I'm a medical doctor? Because I think humans and plants are not very different. Uh, We may not look like we have roots until you open up our small intestine and you see the villi. Mm
0: -hmm. And the villi is the same. We We also have have
1: have a microbiome.
0: Yeah.
1: And maybe we can take advantage of what you're learning from plants to also ask the same questions. What do chemicals do in our bodies? Maybe not a lot of good. But this information, this knowledge is still very rudimentary. So it Mm. needs to be built up.
0: Okay. Um, Do you have any regrets so far? (laughs) Are there things that you would do differently when you look back at your life?
1: I wish I did the radiology differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You stated it at the beginning that going ahead of your time is not a very wise thing. Because then a lot of those big investments became like junk so now we are trying to take steps backwards mm-hmm. to say let's start small again and then go upwards wow. that is the only tragedy mm-hmm. in everything else I'm very happy about with what it. done.
0: so what do we expect from you next Dr. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: was hoping that uh, we grow Kibra and uh, with support from society we can cover the whole of Kibra move from um, we did trees we did flowers we then moved to vegetables we are now looking at uh, bringing some animals Already, there's a rabbit cage being put up, Mm. group number one. Uh, One group already has uh, ducklings that I supplied. Mm. We can do cuckoo, we can do dairy. Cover Kibra. If you cover Kibra, the next natural stop is Kaungwari. So we can do Kaungwari as well. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you that I have not achieved, I could not achieve anything in Kibra without support from administration. Mm -hmm. The office of the DCC at Kibra gives me 100% support. Mm-hmm. the chief, the deputy chief, all these people are always there. The you know, um, the environmental officers, they treat me with such respect. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, their love is massive. Okay. Uh, so, um, we believe that this can be taken to the next level. And with all these teams working together, you've got government, you've got um, private enterprise, you've got the youths, mm-hmm. and there are so many of them. Okay. Move on to Kawangwari. If Kawangwari succeeds, go to Madare. If you've covered Kibira, Kawangwari and Madare, you've, you've, Kenya, Kenya. You've, ta- you've covered Kenya. You've covered Kenya. You've
0: reclaimed back the city.
1: You have reclaimed the city, but uh, when you sit down with the youths, they come from all over Kenya. Mm-hmm. So that knowledge will then be disseminated. I've also okay. made an effort with the training. So Royal Seed trained the youths. Um, In how to make seedlings, quality seedlings that you can carry to a distant area. I also brought in a forester who taught them how. Mm -hmm. You know, here even uh, Jared Akuku even organized for them to get certificates. So these youths are well equipped.
0: So definitely, we look forward to you doing more for the environment, more for the society, more for conservation. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much, Dr. Um This has been um, an interesting conversation just to hear uh, your journey from coast to Nairobi, Abroad, and I'm sure you've gone to many other countries and bringing this back to our own country, to our own people. So thank you very much uh, and also for gracing this podcast, uh, Doctors Unmasked. So That's where we end it. Um, we've been having a conversation with Dr. Alfred Odiambo. He's a radiologist and he's a medical doctor, but in other fields he's trying to reclaim the city. Being a conservationist, trying to go back to nature. So thank you very much. That's where we end this podcast. Thank you for your valued time. Be sure to join us next time as we have another doctor on Doctors Unmasked. My name is Dr. Masi Korir. Doctors Unmasked Podcast. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robin Hood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh,